Good evening, folks, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of Talks with Templar, presented by Templar Security Specialists and our parent company, Templar Strategic Solutions, here in Rome County, West Virginia. Now, as we told you in our pilot episode, guys, the primary focus of the Talks with Templar podcast is to ensure that you as the consumer public, you as the individual, you as the business owner, you as the property manager, representative of these various business owners, be they corporate, be they individual, our job and our purpose here is to, well, yes, we're going to advertise, we want you to have insight, we want you to see more of the inner workings of the contract security world here in West Virginia, especially because that is our target market. That's where we operate. And, of course, as we expand, we'll examine new training and new requirements and things like that. And, of course, if we encounter any new technology, new tools, new resources that help us be better as an industry and do better as an industry, we're naturally going to want to share those things with you. But this evening is going to be a, well, this evening is going to simply be a discussion of training and equipment. And the first things we're going to, of course, look at will be the state requirements here in West Virginia, followed by a little more in-depth discussion in regards to the requirements of Templar Strategic Solutions and Templar Security Specialists. And then we're going to start talking about some of the particular tools that we utilize here at Templar Strategic Solutions. And this might surprise some folks, but our focus tonight will be on our less lethal options. Okay. Anybody can talk about what firearms and what hard, you know, what heavy ordnance they're carrying, etc., etc. We're going to discuss with you, our consumers, and you, our listeners, what less lethal options we bring to the table when we're talking about our advanced officers and <clears throat> what kind of training we go undertake with that as well. Now, to start with, let's look at the state requirements here in West Virginia for an unarmed guard. Okay, an unarmed guard in the state of West Virginia must meet three basic requirements. They must be at least 18 years of age. They must have a high school diploma or GED. They must be of good moral character. And what that means is they can't have a criminal record that involves any type of theft, larceny. They can't be addicted to alcohol or drugs. And... Naturally, they cannot have any type of assault charge or battery charge or domestic violence charge. That's pretty much it, boys and girls. That's, that's the bottom line. That's all the state really requires for someone to register under our firm license to work as an unarmed security guard. Now, let's look at Templar Strategic Solutions, Templar Security Specialists. And what we require for that very same individual working as an unarmed 
security guard or security officer. To start with, before that officer is even issued a uniform, they will undergo a 10-hour fundamental strength. Now, to clarify one thing real fast, guys, all of Templar's mandatory training is paid training. Now, there are some rules and there are some stipulations in that, and the biggest rule being that if you fail the fundamental strength, if you fail the exam because you could not make a passing score of 85 or better, then what's going to occur is you'll still be paid for that class. However, you won't be assigned to duty. You will not be able to progress any further in your training period. You will remain on, pro on probationary period. And you will be invited back up to two more times to reattend that class at your expense. And what I mean by your expense is we're not going to pay you the man hours multiple times to take the same course. Once you've taken the class and you've attended it in full and been paid to attend it in full, if you fail that class, then regrettably you will still have to take that class and make a passing score, but you won't be paid the added hours. If we paid for every attempt, Let's just face reality, folks. People would take advantage of it. People would intentionally come in. They would intentionally not pass the course. They would intentionally not pay attention just to milk the 10 hours of paid time. And that's just bad business. So we offer the fundamentals training class once paid. Afterwards, they're welcome to reattend two more times. And they do so at their own expense. Of course, they'll still they'll still eat with us at the midday meal, things like that. They'll still be allowed to participate in all the exercises because that's how you train. They simply won't receive the pay. And yes, I know I'm hammering on that, but you'd be amazed how many people I have interviewed that could not process that one small bit of information. Don't worry, folks. The ones that couldn't process it didn't get hired. Now, once they've completed that 10-hour class, they are photographed and fingerprinted per state regulations. We do have to keep a copy of their prints and two passport-sized photos of them on file. Now, from there, we proceed to examine the uniform. All right, a full-time Templar security officer Starts his career out with a blue over black, a navy blue over black, two tone polo with reflectives. Same thing you see multiple police agencies transitioning to here lately, and it's a very comfortable uniform. I personally like them; they are solid. We were very meticulous in selecting these uniforms, but the one that a regular full time officer wears has not only our company shoulder patches. But the, embla the, the embroidered private security officer seven-point star badge over their left breast. The probationary officer, the new hire, the rookie, if you will, who is in their 30-day probationary and training period, will receive the same blue and black polo. However, they do not have 
the badge on their chest. The gold badge on their chest is something that we mark as an earned privilege. These officers instead simply have a patch across the shoulder, rear shoulder, rear of the shoulders that says security, and one over the left breast where the badge patch will eventually be on their regular uniform that again simply says security. The shirts, of course, do still have the Templar security specialist shoulder patches because they are still employees even though they're probationary. But they have to work and prove themselves to be allowed to turn that uniform in and be reissued their regular duty uniforms. We do that so that we can easily in the field in an emergency or other high-paced situation identify a trainee versus a fully trained and active officer. And that's simply because the officer in the trainee's uniform is not as likely, I will not say they are not probable, but they are not as likely to have the skill set and or the knowledge necessary to complete whatever task may be at hand. And obviously we would much rather send in someone who's been through their training to handle a situation or act as a support officer for another team member than we would the guy that has had his 10-hour class and maybe one or two of his additional training classes prior to the situation coming to be. Now, once they've had that 10 hours, and that 10 hours is really their fundamentals training, guys. It is role and responsibility, scope of authority, and review of company policy, uniform standards, etc., etc., then we step off into their OTJ or FTO. They're on the job training or their field training time. Okay. That is when they're partnered with a senior officer of the rank of corporal or higher. And they work alongside that officer on their duty post to learn how to apply what they learned in their 10 hour fundamentals to real-time situations and a real-time duty assignment. Again, they'll be wearing the probationary uniform, but they will be functioning as a full-on security guard or security officer. They will be completing the tasks and duties of that shift or that tour, but they'll be doing so under the supervision and leadership of a corporal or a sergeant or lieutenant, the captain, the assistant chief, or myself. And we do that so that we are able to measure their success. Beyond working those field hours, though, they're not done with their classroom time, guys. Every one of our officers during their first 30 days are required to achieve their CPR and AED certifications. They are required to have basic life support or life, basic life saving skills, as well as begin familiarizing themselves with the tools that they carry or that they will eventually carry. We'll touch back on that in a few moments. Before we step into that, let's review real quick the requirements in the state of West Virginia for an armed security officer or security guard. And in West Virginia, and I'm sorry guys, this scares the blue hell out of me. It really does. 
because I, as of September of 2022, marked 24 years working in public safety and contract security down in North Carolina and in a few other places. But we're not going to discuss everything about that right now. But one of the biggest things being is in all of my 20-some years, there were always rules. There were always additional standards that governed or restricted what we were doing. And that would include, guys, the matter of firearms, okay? When I got started in private security down in North Carolina, we had people carrying revolvers, we had people carrying semi-automatic handguns, and we had the 12 and the 20-gauge shotgun. That was it. In recent years, in North Carolina, officers have started training with the AR-15 patrol rifle. And, of course, the state did set forward added restrictions there, not only the range scores that have to be met on the qualifying range, but also how that piece of equipment could be issued out as far as whether it went to an individual officer or it went to a contract or duty post or how it had to be assigned out, how it had to be accounted for. And you know what? Couldn't have made me happier the way they did it because it really did, guys, it put people in a much better place professionally by maintaining those standards. Here in West Virginia, the only baseline requirement, aside from the standards that a, an unarmed guard must maintain, i.e. good moral character, no addiction to alcohol or drugs, etc., etc. Of course, they have to be 21 to carry a firearm, but the only formal training that our folks have to have per the state mandate at current is a carry-conceal pistol permit, a carry-conceal revolver or semi-automatic pistol permit. That's it, folks. <clears throat> and... Now, let me, for those of you who are listening that aren't here in West Virginia and haven't kept up with firearms rules, let me help you out, okay? West Virginia has been, for a time now, a constitutional carry state. And what a constitutional carry state is, or at least here in West Virginia, how that's laid out, is a subject may carry open at the age of 18. may carry a handgun openly at the age of 18. They may proceed with carrying concealed with a provisional permit at the age of 18. At the age of 21, at the age of majority, being 21 in this instance, a resident of the state of West Virginia is no longer required to maintain a carry-concealed pistol permit to carry a concealed firearm. So, that being said, the West Virginia carry-concealed course is taught by either law enforcement, various law enforcement officers who have achieved their NRA pistol instructor certification and carry-concealed instructor certification or 
Department of Justice instructors. But the devil of this whole situation, guys, is first of all, a carry concealed instructor can only charge in West Virginia it's either fifty or fifty-five dollars per class to teach the legal aspect and fundamentals of carrying a pistol and carry, doing so concealed, okay? What that boils down to is they may or may not give some basic marksmanship training, but they basically run down the use of force rules where they pertain to self-defense, <laughs> and you discuss where you can or cannot car legally carry or possess a firearm, concealed or otherwise. That's it. And then there's the range. And the carry-conceal range is 10 or 12 yards, I believe. Maybe less, maybe more. I've never taken a West Virginia carry-conceal course. I, When I filed for my carry-conceal permit, I brought all my documentation from North Carolina, including my Department of Justice certification, certified documents, and used those as my proof of education and proof of training. Now, for me and the other owners of Templar, we're not satisfied with that. And this is the first tool, and we're only going to touch briefly on this, guys, because like I said, our primary focus today is going to be on our less lethal options, and as, as I explained before, our, our primary here is the preservation of life, the protection of life, the protection of the client, and the protection of the client's assets and property. We are not out there to be filling body bags, guys. That is the last thing we want. Heaven forbid it comes to that, but... If it does, we want our people prepared, or as prepared as we can keep them. So the first training we're going to look at following the fundamentals training that we've just discussed is the Templar Strategic Solutions Course of Fire. And because our competitors may be listening, we will not go into what is going on because that is proprietary information. But what we will tell you is that it is a day and night course, and our officers are required to recertify every six months. I don't care if we have five men on the armed division or we have 1,500 men on the armed division. Somebody will If you are with us as an armed officer, you will qualify once every six months with a minimum passing score of 85. Our course is not led by Joe Blow down the road. It is not led by Johnny Carey Conceal over here that for the right money will simply slip you a certificate because, oh, your constitutional carry state. I, I don't really want to waste time. I'll fill out your paperwork. See, we don't believe in people like that. People like that need to lose their right to instruct course because their job and the responsibility as an instructor is to provide quality training to these people. But our senior instructor, Lieutenant Mike Love, is a West Virginia Department of Justified Certified Firearms Instructor for Law Enforcement. 
He is also a sworn law enforcement officer who is currently active duty with a department. He is actively sworn. He's out pulling duty. He's out there in the field every day. And this man still makes time to come in and put our people through their paces. Now, some people say, oh, well, you put them through 30 days probation. That's enough to teach them. And they came in with their carry concealed permit. That's wonderful. Okay, they already have their carry concealed permit. What that means is if they give us a copy of their receipt or they show us, you know, what it costs, we may or may not reimburse them depending on their situation for that permit. But here's the thing. You just took 10 hours of fundamentals training when you were here on probation 30, for 30 days and along with your AED, CPR, and other skills training. But now you're going to sit through 24 hours of combined instruction and qualifying range time. And guess what, kids? That's mandatory training. So under Templar's policy, that is paid training hours. That is 24 paid training hours. So, and we guarantee that our certificates provide all the necessary material and information to qualify an individual to receive their carry concealed permit in the state of West Virginia. Of course, carry concealed permits being issued are at the discretion of the high sheriff of the county, but I can assure you that if you walk into a sheriff's department with our certifications and our course of fire under your belt with passing scores, you will qualify for your permit or you should meet the criteria. So if you fail to achieve your carry concealed permit, it won't be because of our training. It will be, be because there is something more that you did not disclose to us, something that was found during your background checks, etc., that the sheriff ran that we were not privy to. And if that's the case, unfortunately, while well, you will have still gotten the paid training, if you can't achieve the if you can't be issued legally a carry concealed permit through the state of West Virginia, then we can't work you as a security an armed security guard. We can still give you all the unarmed work you can handle, but we cannot give you an armed sight. Period. Not with a firearm. The rules are the rules, and we follow the rules. Now. Let's start examining some of the various tools that our officers carry. All right, every one of our armed security officers carry what we call full kit. If you're in this type of business or you've been in the military or you've been in law enforcement, you know what we mean by full kit. <clears throat> full kit is the full-on patrol belt, the same thing that the law enforcement around here wear, the same thing that law enforcement in almost every state of the union wears with minor differences here and there, obviously, because certain departments carry certain equipment that we may or may not have. And we offer our officers very, very thorough kit. And what we mean by very thorough kit is 
you will have either your OC spray or your conducted energy weapon. You will have your expandable baton. If you're an armed officer, you will have your side, your company-issued sidearm and your holster. And we do that because we want uniformity in the field. We are, we will discuss and lease firearms for the arbitrary employment lease if an officer wishes to carry their own firearm. But we do have a set list of firearms that are applicable and acceptable in the field. And your firearm must, of course, meet those criteria in order for us to authorize the carry. But moving beyond that, you, as we said before, you will, you know, you will have to train with every tool. Your OC spray, your conducted energy weapon, your restraints, your baton, all of these tools. You, while the state doesn't have regulatory practice in place for us when it comes to these tools, we do have in-house regulatory practice and all of this instruction is reviewed and approved by Lieutenant Love, our West Virginia Department of Justice certified instructor. Why? Because we are here to be the best. We are here to raise the bar. We want our clients, you, the consuming public, to see what our personnel trained for and instantaneously know that what you are paying for is worth so much more than your hourly billing rate. That's just, that's our rule, guys. And the thing being is, if you pay an officer well and you give them the right training and the right support, they stay with you. and. More importantly, while they are with you guys, they really get out there and they really look after taking care of the client because a well-trained, well-paid, happy security professional is the one that's going to give you 110%. And that's what's important to us is making sure that they are well-trained, they're confident with their tools. And we want them so confident with those tools that they know when not to use them, not just when they do use them, guys. We want these folks absolutely ready to rock, ready to handle anything that comes at you, anything that comes at them. Now, aside from the tools on the belt, every one of our officers has also issued a tool called a Kubotan. A Kubaton or Kobaton is a small six to eight inch metal striking tool used for manipulating power, manipulating pressure points and joints. This is not a primary defense tool, guys. This is a last resort tool. This is a get off me tool. This is they close the gap too fast and I've got to get them off me or I was walking to my car after my shift. They grabbed me from behind. I grabbed this to get them off of me. 
It's not a tool we want them using every day of the week, but it is a tool that they are trained with and taught to use correctly, same as the baton. And we are going to discuss later on about the batons and the restraints or handcuffs, flex cuffs, hinge cuffs, chain cuffs. We will discuss all of these tools as our series progresses during this first season of our podcast. But today, the big one that I want you guys to look at, is like I told you, our primary focus today is our less lethal options. I want to focus on the conducted energy weapon. Now, everybody out there that has dealt with a police officer more than two minutes in the past 20 years has seen a taser. And I'm going to tell you flat out, when I got my first certifications, I got a lifetime certification through Taser International as a operator. Back during the days of the M18L and M27 taser. Now, this was the big, chunky, black taser with the yellow striping kit on it that looked as big as a blasted hand cannon. It was nearly as big as a Desert Eagle. It was bulky. It was chunky. It was so large that while I was waiting on a new holster, I was able to use a universal radio carrier to secure my tool, guys. Yes, that is how big the M18L taser is, folks. The universal Motorola radio carrier would hold it comfortably, okay? Keyword there, guys, comfortably. All right, that, that, that terrifies me a little bit to even think that there was a time in my career where I had to improvise that hardcore to achieve what I had to achieve on the job. However, we at Templar do not use Taser. I will never in my life tell you that the Taser M18, the Taser M27, the Taser X, 26 the taser x26 pro i'll never be the guy to tell you that those tools are bad tools okay they are amazing tools if they are used correctly even though they are not always 100 percent effective okay i'm sorry we all know the history of tasers we've all seen them and guys we all know that there is somebody out there right now walking around who has taken full-on taser hits from a fresh battery pack and kept coming for more. 99% of those instances, of course, guys, was because there was outside contributing factor, i.e. the subject being tased was delirious, they were on, they were under the influence of narcotic, there are various factors there, or there could be that they were just a really tough individual, and they were able to power through that 50,000 hit. Now, instead of Taser, we at Templar have accepted for more practical purpose the Phaser Enforcer. Okay, the Phaser Enforcer, to give you a quick rundown on Phaser, Phaser has been able to do what Honda did to Harley back in the 70s and 80s. 
I know some of you are already looking at your listening device like I've lost my mind because you have no idea what I'm talking about unless you ride and you remember the lawsuits over the Honda Rebels and the Honda Shadows and all the stipulations that were put forward through U.S. rule import rules as far as engine size and all that jazz because when Honda started making a cruiser, they ruffled a lot of feathers. And that's exactly what Phaser has done when they started making their conducted energy weapon. And the reason for that is they are extremely comparable to the Taser. Okay, they function on the same base principle. But we're going to, I, I want to go over with you and I want to talk to you a little bit about why we take the Phaser Enforcer over the Taser X26 or X26 Pro. Okay, first off, the Phaser Enforcer has a baseline of 55,000 volts versus Taser's 50,000. 5,000 volts doesn't seem like a lot until you think, wait a minute, 55 versus 50. That's a 10% increase in stopping power, okay? That's an amazing feat, boys and girls, and that's also a big help sometimes when you're trying to take down one of those that are a little more stubborn than the other guy, okay? From there, I want to look at the fact that with Taser, you have one basic option, and that is probes okay you have two deployment options with the taser you have the probe cartridge or you have what's called drive stunning which is when you touch the device directly to the subject okay <coughs> now phaser on the other hand phaser stepped up the game guys phaser gives me the option of not just the probe cartridge, but it also gives us the ballistic rubber, the riot loads. They give us the ballistic rubber loads. They give us the pepper ball loads. They have, I've seen some that have paintball loads. I haven't really looked into those. Those would be classified a marking round or a training round. And, you know, of course, yes, they have the, the traditional probe. But you think about that. Probe, pepper ball, ballistic, and the paintball. Guys, that's four different ammunition options for that single device. Not one, you know, not just, and of course we still have drive stunts. So I now have a tool with five, five folks. Five different deployment options to help me best serve my responsibility and best fulfill my responsibility should I be forced into a use of force situation. Okay, I've got my drive stun, I've got my probes, I've got my pepper balls, I've got my ballistic and my paintball markers. So that's five units, guys. Five options. Okay, now. You know, you're sitting there, oh, well, you know, you got to get back to your patrol bag, blah, 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 blah. Well, you're right. 
with five different options, carrying all of them is not an option, okay? But what we can do is, like any other agency out there, we can buy, just like we have magazine carriers for our pistol, we can buy cartridge carriers for our cartridge. And guess what? The same cartridge carrier that will carry an X26 Taser cartridge will carry a phaser enforcer cartridge. Okay? Now, it gets better, guys. It gets better. Because all of those different cartridge options, the probe, the pepper ball, the uh, ballistic load, the ballistic rubber load, and the paintball load will work with taser. Meaning, let's say we're working security somewhere and... We're working alongside a sworn officer who comes up with an X-26 on his hips. Okay? He's deployed his primary. He's deployed his backup cartridge. We've yet to deploy cartridge, but we have additional cartridges on our belt. Instead of that officer now being in a position for that sworn officer being in a position where he may have to go direct contact or drive stun, we are able to toss him one of our cartridges if needed, and it will work in his X26 or X26 Pro device. Okay, now, coming past that, guys, I don't know if you've ever handled a taser or not, because obviously I haven't met all of our listeners, and that's disappointing to me because I'd love to meet all of you. I'd love to sit down, have a cup of coffee, and talk business with you. But on a taser, the taser has an ambidextrous safety switch, okay? And it is mounted to the side of the device the same as a firearm. It's a thumb switch. It's an ambidextrous thumb safety. That's great, man. I, I love having a safety on a tool. I, I don't believe in firearms that don't have safeties, okay? <laughs> I mean, but that's just me. I, I have small kids and a couple ex-wives, and I am a firm believer in firearms must have safeties, and I believe that any projectile device on my belt should have a safety switch. Just common sense for me. But Phaser has an ambidextrous switch on it, okay? But that is your searchlight switch. Ambidextrous finger switch to the forward of the device just ahead of the trigger guard is design is there to activate the LED searchlight mounted under the device. Your safety is on the back of the device, which means as soon as you lay your hand on the grip of that device in the holster, you are able, as you are drawing, to go ahead with a press of your thumb while you're acquiring grip, go ahead and disengage your safety. To me, that's just a design option that I prefer. It speeds up my grip acquisition. It speeds up my weapon being hot coming out. It makes my life easier. It makes my life better. At least for me as an officer. Now, as a business owner, I'm going to put something else out there. And this is something I debated on whether or not to share on an open podcast like this. But here's the beauty of it. 
the last time I looked at the cost of the Phaser Enforcer versus the Taser X26 or the X26 Pro, on average, the full kit, the full starter kit of the Phaser. And hey guys, for those of you that are out there already squawking that, oh, it's not a Taser, it's not the best, it doesn't have all the features. Well, I got news for you. We can get ours with data port or wireless reporting. And all of our cartridges have aphids just like phaser, or just like taser, I should say. See, I say phaser so much, taser becomes the word that doesn't get used in my office. And I tripped over the word. It happens. I'm human, and it is 2.16 in the morning on January the 3rd. 2023. But folks, all in and done, when I say full kit ready to go, I mean your Blade Tech ambidextrous holster for your duty belt with the hood and thumb brake, your actual phaser enforcer device plus three heads. That's three cartridges, guys. Comes in the door at an average of a third less than just the standalone Taser X26 or X26 Pro. Okay. Now, to jump on some more of that for you guys, the even more impressive to me than just those factors, okay. Beyond just those factors, the Taser X26 and X26 Pro have a stubby grip. They have a grip that is reminiscent of the old bird's head revolver grips. Okay? The Phaser Enforcer, ladies and gentlemen, has a full grip. I have a large hand. My, my palms are just over five inches wide. I have a, a moderately large hand, and I am able to obtain a very comfortable, very effective grip, and maintain solid weapon control. But, if I go out and I buy this kit, which we bought a few of them for our company, obviously, that entire kit, that entire device, costs us one-third less. And that's the kit ready to issue out. It's ready to go on a duty belt. It's ready to go in service. will cost us an average of one-third less than the standalone Taser X26 or X26 Pro. At least currently. And again... If you're not in law enforcement, you're not in the military, you're not in private security, you don't have experience with these tools, I cannot tell you how amazingly important the whole aspect of a diversification of ammunition sources really is. 
Again, like I've said before, our primary goal is not to be out there filling body bags, but instead to maintain peace and order. And more pressingly, guys, to preserve life and property, to protect life and property. If I am able to use pepper balls to break up a situation, let's say we have a couple people that are scuffling and we'll, we'll say mutual combat, which mutual combat is they both know they're fighting. You know, I walk around the corner on a property, let's say I'm working duty at a gated community or an apartment complex, and two residents are getting into it. They've had concerns in the past, and, you know, they've decided they're going to slug it out. Well, it's still my job as security to break that fight up and put a stop to that nonsense. If I can say, guys, if you don't stop, I'm going to tase you, and they continue, instead, I pop that cartridge off and I throw a pepper ball cartridge in and I launch a pepper ball cartridge into that fray and I'm now exposing these two individuals to that irritant without wasting a pressurized canister without having to close the gap any further than I would with a pepper can or an OC can. But I've hit them with those pepper balls, and not only that, there's a loud popping noise when this device goes off, which generates a startle effect in most instances. But I was able to hit them with that pepper spray, but not pepper spray, but the pepper balls. The irritant will cause their eyes to burn, it will cause their nose to run, it will cause them to cough, it will cause their... That it will cause excessive mucus discharge at the nasal cavities and their nostrils. It's going to disorient them. It's going to make it that much easier to physically break that fight up and stop it before anyone is severely injured. But best of all, by using the pepper cartridge, I did not have to use any probes which means, aside from some irritation and general discomfort, these individuals are going to be perfectly fine in just a few minutes. Whereas, I don't know, you know, we don't know when a person has a pacemaker. We don't know when a person may have metal pins or whatnot from a surgery inside their body. We don't know when a person might have a cardiac condition that could be exasperated by hitting them with the conducted energy weapon. On top of that, you know, we, we've we've bragged on on Phaser Phaser US and Phaser International, and we're going to keep right on bragging about Phaser. Phaser is tough. I have been again in this industry for well over twenty years now, and ladies and gentlemen. The Phaser Enforcer and the Raptor and the Equalizer, the Phaser products, are some of the best I have encountered. And I have played with some heavy-duty equipment over the years, guys. I have got to work some very interesting contracts in 20-plus years. But the bones of this, ladies and gentlemen, you know, there are horror stories everywhere 
about people dying from conductive energy exposure. And I'm going to be honest with you, yes, it scares me that this weapon is still potentially lethal. But, again, that's why I say this is a less lethal option. There is no such thing as non-lethal. It is less lethal or it is lethal. Okay, if they're saying, oh, he went non-lethal, then he dropped all of his tools. He did not pick up his impact tool. He did not pick a baton. He did not pick up his co-baton. He draw his taser or conducted energy weapon. And he absolutely didn't draw a firearm or a pocket knife. Simple as that, guys. Because I promise you, in the wrong hands, or even in the right hands, in the wrong circumstances, every impact tool that we use could cause catastrophic injury or death. The chemical irritant can cause allergic reactions in the OC spray or trigger an asthmatic reaction. These are not, by our standard, non-lethal. These are less lethal, okay? But that's why we have the use of force continuum and such a very strict use of force policy at Templar Strategic and Templar Security Specialists. Now, Aside from that, folks, you know, one of the big horror stories you hear with conducted energy weapons, at least in training for us, is, and this is one of the reasons, and we'll get into the policy here in a moment, when an officer is issued a patrol belt or a duty belt with Templar, we're not sworn officers, I can never hammer that down enough. We, as contract security officers in the state of West Virginia, we're not sworn, we're registered. Period. End of discussion. We are registered. And being registered means that we don't have, obviously, the same authority. We don't have power of arrest because the House Bill 2645 hasn't gone through with the amendment to grant the limited powers of arrest to private security owners contract properties. But it's not our job to, again, it's not our job to be out there killing people. It's quite frankly the exact opposite. Our job is to try to protect and preserve. And that is where we focus. But because of that, if an officer is issued a conducted energy weapon through Templar Strategic Solutions, Templar Security Specialists, in order to sign off on that weapon or that tool and begin carrying it or displaying it on their duty belt, however you prefer to word that, before it can be worn on their duty belt and actively carried, or they have to sign acknowledgement indicating that they are aware that they must carry one or the other, but not both. The reason for that, folks, is because, unfortunately, there are some various manufacturers out there who still make OC spray that use flammable propellants, okay? And there have been a handful of incidents 
and they are heartbreaking to think about where an individual was doused with pepper spray first and then hit with a taser, not a phaser, a taser, and that that particular unlucky soul was set aflame. And this resulted in, again, catastrophic injury or loss of life. Big example was an incident in New York City where a gentleman was sprayed and then during additional altercation, when the spray had no effect, he was hit with the taser, and he was set aflame right there in the middle of the street. And if I recall correctly, the gentleman did not survive it, and even if he did survive it, his quality of life is now garbage. So we are very particular about that. You know, it's you carry one or the other, you don't carry both, and... If you are the conducted energy weapon operator on your team, if you're the only one carrying, or even if multiples are carrying, if one man is carrying OC spray, if he deploys the OC spray, the conducted energy weapon is now off the table. We will not risk there being a bad batch of OC or a manufacturer of ROC canisters accidentally or intentionally, whichever, utilizing a potentially flammable propellant with the OC spray or a flammable chemical compound to create the OC spray formula and risk destroying someone over a use of force situation that has not escalated to justify lethal option. Now... Folks, I hope you found some of this informative. I hope you've enjoyed it, and we definitely hope to hear back from you at a later time. Please stay tuned. Feel free to call us at 304-591-9787, Monday to Friday, 0830 right on to 5.30 p.m. every day. We're open Monday to Friday. Reach out to us by email at info at templarstrategicsolutions.com. Visit our website, templarstrategicsolutions.com. Or follow, find us on Facebook. Find us on YouTube. Obviously, feel free to subscribe to our podcast. And if there's ever anything that you particularly want to hear us cover in our podcasts, throw us an email. Give us a phone call. If you ever need information about the industry and you're not getting it from our podcast, if you have questions about what we do, call us. We're here to help. And with that, folks, we're going to wrap this episode up. We hope you enjoyed learning a little bit about the device and hearing us prattle a little bit, or I should say hearing me prattle a little bit. And we look forward to starting on episode number four as soon as we have some quality material to discuss.